hey there. Welcome to the Inside Redemption Podcast. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm part of the executive team of Redemption Arizona and the lead pastor at Redemption Gateway. And Inside Redemption is a podcast where we're trying to really lift the hood and kind of take you behind the scenes, introduce you to people who have a significant leadership voice and role in shaping Redemption Church and help you get to know them, as well as a little bit about the ministry and the kind of context that they're in. And so today, I'm pleased to welcome to the studio, Mr. Josh Watt. It's good to be here. Josh, great to have you here, man. Josh is the lead pastor of our newest congregation of Redemption, Redemption North Mountain. Prior to that, he was on staff uh, with me here at Redemption Gateway for about eight years, I think. Give or take, yeah. Something like that. And one of the greatest uh, just delights in my life in the last few years and in our church, I'm not kidding, is uh, to be able to have had a baby. It was such a fun day to stand up in front of our congregation and say, hey, everybody, our church is pregnant. And uh, we've got a baby. He's not very good looking, but uh, but anyway, so Josh, I'm glad you're here, man. It's good to be here, man. So good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. So what I like to do in these conversations is really sort of start by letting people get to know you, some of your story, some of your history, how you met the Lord, that kind of stuff. And then we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how it's going at North Mountain. I think this is especially interesting for anyone who's ever wondered about church planting or been part of a church plant or thought, is church planting ever going to be part of my future? Church planning is such a significant, you know, aspect of what we do in redemption. We even say that our mission is to birth and strengthen healthy local congregations. And so I think the insight you're going to provide here will be will be really helpful. But um, let's start kind of at the beginning. So Josh Watt is a Phoenix native. The beginning. I was born in Tucson. Oh, born in Tucson. I don't know if I knew that. I didn't know that. But you grew up in the Valley. In the Valley. When did you move to Peoria? That's where you grew up, right? In Peoria? Yeah, I grew up in Peoria. So I was adopted within my own family. So sister to sister. Uh, the drop-off point was the Dairy Queen at Casa Grande, uh, so okay. that's what happened when I was like six months old, and then my parents. So the so your mom, your birth mom, gave you to her sister. Correct. Okay, so and that's aunt, your mom. Yes, aunt is really my mom. Mom is really my aunt biologically. Yeah. yeah. But I was raised by this family, Mike and Maureen, who adopted me, and they had two sisters after me. We were raised in Peoria, right by Peoria High School, right by Redemption Peoria. So that's kind of my hood. That's where I grew up. Um, great life. I mean, for the most part, my parents got divorced, but as far as being parents, they were awesome. As far as knowing how to be married, they had work to had do. Had a harder time. Yeah, had a harder so time. So it's you and then you said two sisters. Yeah. So I'm the older brother of Julie and Jessica. And what's the gap between you guys? Uh, I should know this. I was born in 82, 80. Seven and eighty nine. So okay, so a few years Whatever, later, yeah, it's not a meaningful gap yeah. in any big way yeah. there. So, all right. So if I uh, if I followed, <laughs> you know, if somehow I got teleported and I saw Josh Watt after school in say fourth or fifth grade, oh man, what would he be doing? Where would he be? Oh, what would man. he be doing? What would that look like? Uh, on the outside, he'd look pretty good. I mean, good looking. You know, <laughs> not very tall. Great hair. Um, I was just kind of a neighborhood sports kid, just ran around, played a lot of sports, played, you know, there was a lot of older kids in my neighborhood, and I was the younger guy that was scrappy enough to kind of keep up. You were Um, probably still enough in the generation. How old are you right now? 39. You're 39. 39. So you were in the generation where you could still kind of run around the neighborhood and not have to be checked in on all the time. Yeah. Like me and Aubrey just having this conversation today about Elijah. He's at a friend's house. We don't know the neighbors, and it's like... What do we do? And it's like <laughs> right. my parents never once knew where I was <laughs> sure. at any moment of the day because yeah. I was out playing sports. So, yeah, just like, I mean, not leave it to Beaver, but kind of 
that feeling more than it is now. You just ran around and knew your neighbors and played with them. And I yeah. love sports and just being out. So, so uh, I was having a conversation with some guys the other day. We were talking about just ways that we played as kids. So, did you play with Legos? Played with uh, no, no GI Joes, uh, Ninja Turtles. Okay, were you more of a like create your own adventure type guy, or like, hey, here's sort of the rules of the story, and I got to live within those rules? Uh, probably live within the rules. I kind of got into draw. I like to draw a lot. I was a, okay. At least for fourth grade, I think I was decent. I like to draw and sketch, but being the youngest kid in the neighborhood or one of them playing with older kids, one day an older kid said, you're just a punk little kid. Look, you still play with toys. Mm. And that weekend I had a yard sale and sold all my toys. Oh, wow. And never played with toys ever again. Really? So that was <laughs> a very wow. definitive mark in my life. All my Ninja Turtles gone. Oh man. Yeah. That sounds really <laughs> like my, I'm sad for that little guy. I want to buy him some toys. I know. I know. Wow. So how old, you said your folks were divorced. How old were you when they split up? So I was eighth grade going into high school. Okay. My sister was like middle school and then at older elementary. And did you know before that happened, like, hey, things are rough here? Yeah. It so wasn't, they, didn't catch you by surprise. No. So they had a, they had a rough go about it. I yeah. Mean, the first, you know, you get your baby book. First, baby's first word, my first word is the B word. Okay. You don't teach that to yourself. You learn right. that. Uh, sure. Wow. And so my parents. Did they write that in the baby book? I think my, I think my mom might have done it just to spite my dad. Like, okay. Look at the house you created. Wow. Okay. Um. So like I said, they were greatest parents. They were young. I mean, they were like 18 when they got married, 18 or 19 when they brought me into the house. Okay. Um, so young, just figuring out how to do life, yeah, work, all that. But they never could quite get along. So I could picture probably three nights out of the week, maybe more, there was like pretty loud, intense fights. Yeah. So before high school, they split. Yeah. Did you kind of split time with them or did you? were you kind of more one place than the other? Yeah, so my mom kept the house. My dad moved to uh, close to Redemption, Alhambra, like 27th and Bethany. We got weekends with him. So okay. I'd be all week. With my mom going to the same high school, Peoria High School. Weekends we'd be with my dad, and then he'd drive us home Sunday night. So Okay. And so high school, you were still into sports? Yep. Not playing with toys? Not playing with Other interests or hobbies in high school? Myself. I really liked <laughs> myself. I was a big fan. Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, like most high schoolers, you're a big fan of yourself but you're also deeply insecure so that was kind of that is my testimony of mm. i loved myself the way i think i got affirmation was through sports and then through girls so i was really into baseball and really into girls specifically one girl i kind of chased throughout high school um and that was my jam was baseball your main thing or did you play other sports i wrestled i was a decent wrestler and then i played uh football for two years i was a decent jv quarterback but there you go did you run was, the option or uh, pass the ball or what? I had you do? a really fast tight end, this kid Chris Toon, who ran like a four six or something oh, insane wow. for a JV team. Okay, and you just threw him a streak, and he would score every time. So that sounds pretty I good. Had, had crazy records in JV football. So what was um, kind of growing up and then into high school? What was the spiritual temperature of your home? Yeah, it's a good question. So my mom grew up in a Catholic background. My dad's from Iowa, just a farm family, maybe Methodist. So nothing really. My nana is the most uh, religious of everyone. She's the Catholic, like true and true. She makes rosaries, all that. She's passed away since. But so when she was in town, we were like, we were on it. We were going to church. We were doing the thing. But when she wasn't in town, we weren't doing anything. So 
Uh, we had the giant Catholic Bible in my mom's, in my dad's bedroom. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's just giant, covered in dust. Nobody ever opens it. So I had this fear of God. Like there's this, there's a God in control of all this and he's running all this. And then I also had this family that I loved, but was broken and shattered. Um, and then I had all this insecurity. So I had uh, hope that there was something more, but no, like no pursuit, no desire to kind of know anything more other than I just want girls to like me and baseball to go well. So would you have thought of yourself at that point? Like I'm Catholic or you just didn't even think in any terms like that. Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, the first, I mean, this is a wild story. I don't know if I've, I think I've told you this. Um, the first like Christian in my life to like share the gospel with me was my birth mom before I knew my aunt was my birth mom. Wow. So we're at Nana's house down in Sierra Vista. How old were you when you figured out that <laughs> your aunt was actually your birth mom? About 12. Okay. So I didn't figure it did out. Did you find out on purpose or did you like stumble into it? So my sister was looking at like pictures and stuff and photo albums and found my birth certificate and it had a different last name for me. Okay. And I saw it and I didn't think anything of it. I'm just a boy. I don't connect dots. Yeah. Um, and my parents kind of freaked out. So they kept me up that night. They're like, we got to talk. I'm like, oh, all right, wow. what's up? They're like, well, you saw that birth certificate. It's a different last name. I'm like, oh. I didn't think anything of it. They're like, well, we want you to know Aunt Kathy is really your mom. And I'm like, what? The? <laughs> Which wow. means my cousin AJ is my brother because she went on to have another son. So I have a brother okay. now. So it's like, what in the world? Sure. But the crazy part is Kathy was like the weird one in the family because she left Catholicism and became like a crazy Jesus-loving freak. Like mm. born again, charismatic, filling wow. all the dots. She was the first one to share the gospel with me. We're wow. at this like Nana retreat. She brings all her grandkids to her house. We just kind of hang out for a couple of days, have fun. And she kind of pulls me into room and she's like, I got to tell you something. I'm like, what? Jesus loves you. I'm like, okay. And he died for you. And she goes on and shares the deal and wants to see me get saved. And I'm like, all right, that's weird. You crazy Kathy. Wow. But looking back, like, that's my mom getting mm. to share the gospel wow. with the son she birthed that she wasn't ready to take care of yet. Like what a sweet moment God gave her. And the fact mm. that I did come around and Jesus grace got a hold of my life later on. I was like, wow. So mm. yeah, that's, I forget and, your original question, but yeah, I forget it too, but that, <laughs> that went in a better direction than I would have hoped. How, what's your relationship with her like now? So she passed away when I was senior in high school. So, but be, from the time I found out to the time she passed away, she kind of got to open up her heart and share all this stuff she had written to me and all these yeah. journals she had been keeping and gifts and just kind of say, you know, as a young mom who got pregnant when she shouldn't have, like, I really wasn't ready to, but I really have thought about you ever since. Mm. And so super sweet. I felt my brother went through uh, a lot more because he was raised by her because she yeah. had met the Lord, kind of got her life together. Um, and he was a part of kind of the end of her life. And he was probably 16 when she passed away. So mm -hmm. I feel um, like God saved me from a lot of pain that people very close to me, like my brother went through. Um, so it's a little weird because we have the same mom, but two very different experiences. He sees a lot of loss yeah. where I see like God's favor and grace mm -hmm. and faithfulness. Sure. Yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Well, I think we were talking about the spiritual temperature. 
Yeah. And you were saying she was the first person to share. Yeah, so share she was you. the she's the first person I ever said. There's something weird about her. It seems to be Jesus. Mm. Okay, Jesus people are weird. The rest of the world kind of does this religion thing, keeps it in a box, does it on Sundays, usually just Christmas and Easter. We're the normal ones. She's off a rocker. So I thought we were normal. Like we did sports. We tried to keep ourselves together. Um, but it changed when my parents got divorced. My dad fell hard. My mom chose the divorce. Um, they didn't have a good marriage, but he was like in the, in that time fighting to keep it together. And through the divorce, he became a Christian and he turned Mm. into a crazy Jesus person. Mm. So like, I also have a very clear, like turn the page moment in my family's history where I saw Jesus enter in and change a person, my dad. And then it sort of trickled down to the rest of us. At first, did you think, uh, dad's just going through a phase because everything's weird in his life right now or was it pretty clear like oh man no he's different yeah it was i mean so he drank smoked chewed um so when he's going through his divorce he's like drinking a lot smoking a lot chewing a lot and then he meets jesus so then they'll start to drop off a little bit so he stops chewing but then he starts eating a lot of candy he stops smoking (laughs) so i like start to see this change in him um and just a picture of my dad i mean you've met him when he got kicked out of the house basically in this divorce um he lived in this little dinky apartment in central phoenix and he had a sleeping bag on the floor somebody gave him a tv somebody gave him a vhs player and he had the movie tommy boy and a bible wow so like if i could summarize my life and my discipleship in a few <laughs> images <laughs> wow. it's my dad with tommy boy and a bible and a sleeping bag and that's kind of how i became the person i am Wow. So oh, that's amazing. Chris Farley and Jesus. So you see him become a Christian, and then what What did that mean? Like, how did that lead to you becoming a Christian? So my sisters tell me we all kind of said the prayer together around that time. I don't remember, but I was starting to become like a church kid as far as having right answers. So we'd go to church with him on Sunday. He'd drive us home Sunday night to take us back to my mom's. And he'd talk about Jesus the whole drive, the whole, I mean, he never stopped talking about Jesus. So I was starting to get a picture of what discipleship looks like in my dad being changed. I was starting to get all the right answers filling my head as my dad talked incessantly about Jesus, but there was no heart change because I was still this insecure high school kid. Like I think where life's really going to be found is in baseball and girls and some combination of people thinking I'm something, um, so I didn't actually become a Christian until four years later towards the end of high school, just as those gods failed me, baseball and girls. Uh, but the foundation was laid with my dad's life getting changed and then my dad starting to be serious about discipling his kids. So in a, in a, same, in a kind of similar way, like your dad sort of bottomed out and it led him to Christ and you had a different kind of bottom out. Totally. That's but, a good way to say it. But that is, I mean, a lot of our story. Right. Like most people don't go, you know what? Things were just going amazing for right. me. And I thought Jesus will make it like 50% better. Totally. You know, usually it's like you realize your thing's not working. Totally. You, need, you need him. And I mean, that's the grace of God that strips us of right. some of that stuff. Um, so when you became a Christian, was the change in you pretty uh, dramatic or pretty slow or kind of up and down? What was kind of the trajectory from there? Um, so end of high school, FCA camp, I get saved at a baseball camp. I give my life to Jesus. And I think for the first time, security starts to enter in my life, not in terms of like, I'm afraid of, you know, Russia or something, but just, uh, I, my insecurity started to fade. But 
it was more phases than I went to college and I kind of now had the right answers. I had a relationship with Jesus, but it wasn't like anything super passionate, anything that deep. It was, I was doing FCA. So I'm kind of living out my Christian faith through this parachurch organization, um, getting a degree, playing baseball a little bit. Um, the thing that really skyrocketed, there's a few things that happened is when I left undergrad and went to graduate school, I moved to Texas. Okay. So you did undergrad at GCU. Yep. Kind of before GCU was the empire yeah. that it is today. Yeah. The old school GCU. Old school GCU. And then went to... Uh, TCU in Fort Worth. TCU. So I'm 21, 22 at this point. And that's where God like takes a hold of my life. Why'd you go there? You don't know the story? I'm no, I, I, I mean, I, I, know the, I know the gist of... So a buddy I played baseball with, we're but, both... But, but Josh, this isn't just uh, yeah. about you and I talking. <laughs> There's an audience listening to this. That's so. right. That's right. Many, many subscribers we gotta um so me and a buddy played baseball together he wanted to get a math uh masters i also wanted to get one for different reasons he was going to go into the military i was going to teach so we went on this tour of southern california colorado we went to look at colorado state and then we went to baylor to look at waco and while we we're there we're like oh tc is back when waco was known for the branch davidians yeah. and not chip and joe <laughs> you can always tell how old people are yeah. by what they think of when they hear of waco yeah you know? David Koresh or Joy. <laughs> um, so we go to Baylor to check it out. It's beautiful. And then while we're there, we realize TCU is just starting this new graduate program for math. So we go check it out and fall in love with Fort Worth. And we go both go. And we both had scholarships. That's the main reason is they were going to pay for it. So. so you went to Fort Worth, TCU, studying math with the you know plan to become a teacher. Correct. And somewhere in there, you journey home to Arizona – Journey home. And stumble into this, you know, young adult ministry at uh, East Valley Bible Church, which is now Redemption Gilbert. And you see a young, cute blonde up there it. singing. I do. I do. August 1st, 2006, I believe is the day. I'll have to check and make sure that was a Tuesday. But 710, I was invited to, which you were an intern? No, I was on staff um, at East Valley Bible. I was leading adult ministry, you know, small groups, men's ministry. But I just had this heart for college students. And so I was involved and around and and yeah that's the day that uh Everything that's the first changed. day i kept hearing about you because um <laughs> you, there was this you know there's this girl aubrey in our ministry aubrey and, gifford yeah and she was really pretty and she sang and great all laugh, these guys oh smile. yeah she's just yes. like amazing person and all these guys like totally dug her but were totally scared <laughs> like none of them would pull the trigger none of them would ask her out and in walks hot shot this guy, I mean, I just, I just remember the buzz after was like, that guy from Texas just showed up <laughs> and just asked her out. Like, what the heck? They were all mad. I was like, guys, you missed your chance. Like, you miss 100% of the swings you don't take. Come on, let's go. Oh, such a good story. Yeah. That's how it went down. I walked in, and do you know Scott Saylor? He's the one who introduced me. So he was the guy that invited me at 710. I said, who's that up there on stage? That's Aubrey Gifford. And I said, no, that's the future Mrs. Watt. You got to go introduce me. And the rest is you said it on that day. That's incredible. I, I know. Although my buddy says, if you say it enough, it's going to come. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you met Aubrey, and did she feel that way pretty quickly oh, too? Yeah, yeah. So you guys fell for each other pretty yeah. hard, pretty fast. She, she was all about my hair. I had longer hair than just long and curly. Oh, and gosh, she our, says our audience doesn't too. want to hear about your hair. <laughs> what? Come on. So you fall in love, get married. You're still in. Were you still in school at, at TCU, or had you finished by that? Point? No, so I met her halfway between my program ending. So I was we dated long distance, basically, for my last year of my master's 
program. So and then get married, live in live Texas. in Fort Worth, and you guys yeah. love Fort Worth. Love Fort Worth. It was great. Love love Fort Worth. Yeah, and it was really kind of. Oh, go ahead. Have you been? It's a. Great I have town. been. I've been with you. We went on a thing to Dallas once, and you took us to one of your old favorite places. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. I, it was really meaningful to you. I can remember. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. So, um, yeah, and it was really kind of through your church there, correct? That kind of got you on a potentially a ministry, ministry path. path. Totally. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, just Texas in general is where God kind of skyrocketed my faith during that master's program. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of lonely for the first time in my life because I always had a ton of friends back home. Um, and my solution to my loneliness was to go to Barnes and Noble and sit and open the Bible and read it cover to cover. Mm. And in that season, God just like made me fall in love with the Bible like never before. So I have this passion for the Bible. The way I'm going to live out my faith and vocation is going to be a high school math teacher and a high school baseball coach. I get married, Aubrey and I, uh, move out to Texas and I choose not to coach baseball because I just see the lifestyle and I'm like, I can't get married to this girl, move her out of state. And never be home. Sure. So I chose not to coach. That gave us more time for ministry and dates and just kind of enjoying the city. And in ministry, we got plugged into this church really intent intentionally. And in that church is where God started to like turn my head towards ministry. Because it wasn't, I didn't dream of being a pastor. It's not, wasn't on my radar before Texas. So I want to talk a little bit about that church. Because we, we've talked about this a little bit here and there. But the way I recall it is you didn't love, you didn't love the church. But you loved the church. Correct. So, so um, I loved Denton Bible Church, which was a church an hour away. And mainly what I loved about Denton Bible was the Bible teacher, Tommy Nelson. We realized if we're going to be committed to the community and be involved in the church body, we have to be closer. So this church at the time, it was called McKinney Memorial Bible. We were just like, we're going we're gonna to plant here. And I mean, not to throw shade or, you know, but it just wasn't the church I would have picked. Well, yeah. I mean, you're in the buckle of the Bible belt yeah. in Dallas, Fort Worth, right? You can, you probably could have found a dozen oh, churches yeah. that were, had better music, had better it. communicators, had better kind of cooler stuff. Right. But you ended up at a church that like wasn't the coolest, wasn't the best in some right. of those ways. And yet what God, was it about it that, that really became so precious? It was a Sunday school class of young marrieds being mentored by older couples where we just found life like we had never had in the church as far mm. as just we lived close to these people. These older couples in our life really cared about us, knew us, loved us, took care of us. I remember the first dinner they took us out to, one of the couples was like a $250 bill or something insane for some high school math teacher. Like, mm -hmm. wow. And it was just... Things like that, like, wow, these people really are generous, sacrificial. They love Jesus. They've been in this church that I wouldn't have picked, and yet their theology is solid, and their lives are great, and they're more mature than I. So Jesus can do what he wants to do in any sort of church. Um, but it really was that young marriage class where we really found Jesus in the church, and he kind of made us fall in love with the church in a new way. Because both Aubrey and I had fallen in love with church through good Bible teaching Mm -hmm. preachers if that makes sense mm -hmm. like that was the draw for both of us and this church did not have that necessarily the way we envisioned so we fell in love with the church through community yeah well i just i, I love that story because i feel like especially now where it's like not only could you drive all over town and oh. find a church that's 
cooler than whatever your thing is probably. But you could dial up anywhere online and go like, well, right. here's a hundred things that are cooler than my church. Right. And I think it's like, yeah, but but it is those relationships that right. actually are what make your experience of the church good, right? Because right. after a while, like, you've heard all the jokes from right. the front and right. you've heard the songs and, you know, the, it is what it is, right. you know? And hopefully that's good and I think God works through that. And I, tr- I hope God works. I mean, I pray as someone who preaches regularly, totally. I hope God uses my preaching. But I really just think there's nothing like being connected with godly people in right. relationships that really matter. Right. Gosh, there's nothing like it. And it was actually that that kind of got you thinking even more about ministry, right? Because, I mean, at this point, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're reading the Bible. You love the word. Yeah. But love it was it was a woman in there, you know, one of the older ladies, yeah, that, yeah. that kind of expanded yeah. your imagination for yeah, so the way the Sunday maybe. school work was basically like kind of picture like three or four small groups together in a classroom and there's like a teacher okay. and the teacher generally is just somebody from the class. So you go to church, main service, and then you go to Sunday school. Sorry if I'm over explaining. No, that's great. I, there's probably plenty of people here that don't <laughs> like, know what, what is the Sunday school model, but it's basically yeah, it's not, like not for kids, two Sunday hours of church. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you wouldn't have a small group during the week. That would be kind of like your correct. community experience. But so I would just kind of talk and we'd ask questions. It's just kind of open forum. And one of the elders wives, Julie Watts, came up to me and said, I really like your insight. Do you ever think you'd want to teach this class or teach a class like this? And I said, I'd love to give it a try. And then another elder, Vern, took me along and said, hey, I heard you want to maybe teach some Sunday school. So we started this like Sunday school tour Mm. where I got to teach kind of the senior citizens, the young marrieds, the parents of teens. And that is what started me into this. I really like this. I like mm. being sort of the mediator between God and man using his word as the piece that kind of connects the two. Do you so, remember what you first taught? I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I remember okay. what I first taught at Redemption Gateway. What was that? You let me have like five or ten minutes on stage and I taught about prayer out of okay. Luke. Oh, wow. There you go. But we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah, sorry. in the story. No, that's all right. So and it was somewhere in there. So you're starting to get involved in your church yeah. and do more ministry stuff. And I think that's about the point our paths crossed. Totally. So context and, uh, of Texas, it's Bible Belt. There's seminaries everywhere. Yeah. So I'm feeling called to ministry. At the same time, my friends at church that are like in ministry or want to be in ministry are, are all in seminary. They're at Dallas or whatever. And I also have this realization, I don't want to go to seminary. I've been hmm. in school so long. Oh, yeah. I just did my master's. I've been doing this way too long. If I'm going to do ministry, it's going to be some organic way where the church just kind of gives me the stamp of approval Mm -hmm. and lets me do it. So that's what I was praying for is like something for uh, a church or a person or people that would invest in me so that I could become a pastor one day. And and Aubrey's like, well, the church I went to had a guy who was a commercial real estate guy. Yeah. And he became a Christian and became a pastor. They let anyone become pastor. Yeah, you don't have to know anything. <laughs> Got this guy from Illinois with a communication degree, and he's yeah. running a church now. So, yeah, so somewhere, I don't remember totally how we got connected, but I had your business card. Mm-hmm. And I remember started asking you questions about the Sunday school because I started to get leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think I took over some of the small groups at that church even, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Luke Simmons is the... Top expert in my mind of all things church. <laughs> well, I had just, I mean, we were, I don't know if our, if the church that I'd planted had even launched yet. Crazy. Um, and right. the way I recall, you were talking about possibly coming over to do like an internship something at East Valley Bible. And uh, 
yeah, I met you and kind of was like, hey, if I could ever help you. And, yeah. And and I've said that to a million people and given a lot of people my card, and I don't get a lot of calls. And uh, so every time you called, I was like, dang, I, here's this guy. I don't really know him very well, but <laughs> but I, he's with Aubrey Gifford, so I <laughs> guess I should try to help him. And, yeah, at some point in there, I don't know how it came up, but it was like, well, what if you guys moved out to Phoenix yeah. and you got a job teaching math and I got involved said, in the church? No and, promises, uh, but it's a church plant, so. There'll be something for you to do. Yeah. Was that a was that a tough decision? Yeah. So when we talk and we do premarital counseling a lot, we mm-hmm. talk about kind of submission, which is sort of a hard word. We talk about it's doing what you don't want to do. And the two times where Aubrey would say she kind of submitted to God and to something she didn't want to do in marriage, one of them is moving back to Arizona. Mm. Because we love Texas. We loved Fort Worth. We love it was everything we wanted, except I was feeling called to ministry and it seemed like the spirit was leading me to this church, second mile church, and this guy Luke for some yeah. unknown reason. Right. And she said, Okay, I'll go. Hmm. So wild, because I was ninety nine percent on board with moving and she was like, oh, I don't want to leave Texas. Yeah. And we did. So it was a act of faith on her part more than mine. Mine yeah. was like, I think this is for sure what I got to do. She was like, uh, so. And I think not long after that, you had your first son, Elijah. Right around there, we had Elijah. He was actually born in Texas, so we had one Texas okay. kid. Moved back here, moved to apartment in Chandler, and then was teaching at Tempe High, and then just being a part of Second Mile. I think maybe within the first month, you put me in a surge okay. t- group, too. At yeah, your house at like five in the morning. Uh-huh. I remember like that. Four other guys. Well, a lot of it was you had to get to school. <laughs> right. Which meant it had to be early. You're like, yeah, well, I'll let I you do that. some fun stuff here at church. Hey, show up at my house at 4 in the morning. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. So um, tell us about your the rest of your family just while we're oh, yeah. kids. So Aubrey, now Want, formerly Gifford. We got Elijah Michael. He's 11, sixth grader, soon to be middle schooler, at least by North Phoenix standard. Roman is a third grader. Uh, Jude is our second grader, and then Ozzy is just perfection on display. <laughs> He's four, so he just turned four. Wow, that's so great. That's the crew. So that's the crew. So kind of to fast forward a little bit. So you were teaching math, yep. and at some point had an opportunity to come on kind of part-time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that that's hard. I mean, I mean, you know right. people, if you ever know people who are kind of doing bivocational, they're working a full-time job and trying to do ministry right. part-time. It can be done. A lot of people do it. Um. But it's but it's a tough deal, and um, at some point we said, you know what, uh, what Josh is doing is just good enough, and uh, it it needs more just investment. good enough. That's my motto. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not what I meant. Um, but but yeah, so we were able enough. to bring you on full time here at Redemption Gateway, which yeah. had been Second Mile, now we're Redemption Gateway, and um, yeah, what was the ministry like when you uh, took it over? So Eloy Garza ran it. He was an elder at the time as well, and they were meeting at. Uh, Gilbert Christian Middle School or Elementary in the gym. It was probably 10, 12 kids. Okay. But Elo was just starting to sort of deploy small group leaders. So I think he had three or four other adults with him. So it wasn't like just two kids. It, it was like the forming of a student ministry, but it was maybe like a dozen. So it was a dozen or so kids. And the story I remember is on, on the way to the first camp. Oh, gosh. They were chanting on the bus, we want Eloy. Yeah. We want Eloy, So right? one of the first camps I took him to was out in L.A. somewhere, and the bus broke down, and the bus driver was awkward. He was furious. He gets out of the bus, and he just starts walking down I-10. 
out of sight and the kids start chanting, we want Eloy, we want Eloy. I'm like, me too, me too. <laughs> so it was 10 or 12 kids when it started. When you, when it, when you left, how, what was the ministry like? As far as numbers or yeah, qual- how many, quantity, quality. How many kids, how many mentors, how many staff? What? 250 to 300 students. That would be junior high and high school. So okay. we did sixth grade through 12th grade, which I think is what you still do. Mm-hmm. 50 to 60 sort of volunteers. We call them mentors. They're the ones who basically do all the work. They're the ones in the lives of the students. And then we had actually built a pretty cool staff. We had Josh Reese as a junior high guy. Robin Howie was helping with a lot of stuff. Basically, anything that happened, happened because of her. Um, I felt like we had a few more staff. But, yeah, so it almost felt like its own small church as far as just sure. dynamics and size and culture. and Yeah, so, I mean, what's it like to lead something that's growing like that? It was Man, it was a blast. Like, um, And looking back, like, the journey was just so sweet. There's a – you're an office fan, but there's a line in there like, I wish when you're in the moment you would know that. That's the moment. Mm, sure. And it was like the growing. It was just so sweet. Like the mentors were my friends. They're all having kids. We're having kids together. We bring our kids to camp. It was just, it was just sweet, man. It was a magical time. Kids are coming to meet the Lord. And it's just like a real place, like a normal bunch of people who love Jesus. We kept the churchiness out of it in a healthy way, I thought. Mm. So, which I think is a Tom Schrader culture thing that he said like just be yourself be normal don't church it up and we created that with student ministry and it was just a blast hmm. yeah well, one of the things i always appreciated is i felt like you were trying to create a group that would be a good place for a josh watt yeah you know like totally. you know because because you Which got, I think everybody kind of leads that way a little bit you know yeah but i mean there's it's easy to lean into you know kind of I mean, the reality is it's it's just hard to, who are you going to focus on? Right. And you just always had a heart for, yeah. you know, the, the you know, the kind of knucklehead in and out of church, totally. not very involved in stuff. Totally. Guy is not ever going to write you an email and complain about right. something. That's it. Yeah. Right? The one who but didn't have like an the, advocate. Yeah. But the, I mean, there's plenty of different moms and dads of yeah. all sorts of different stripes who are going to wear you out totally. about how the ministry is not the best thing for their kid right. or whatever. And I just loved that you always kind of had a vision for the kids who weren't yeah. there or who weren't there very often. Totally. And really tried to create, um, you know, an environment where they would really grow. Yeah. So one of the things that you came up with that, that has actually filtered through the rest of, uh, you know, Redemption Gateway and, you know, may go beyond it, I assume it's at North Mountain, is No Love Center. Yeah. So No Love Center. I mean, you can't find a T-shirt around here that doesn't say No Love Center. So tell us. <laughs> About No Love Center. Where did it come from? What does it mean? So I think you're a better leader than me that you like have a vision quicker. The way I lead is I'm kind of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple years in, I'm like, okay, I think I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. And No Love Center kind of fits in that mold. I'm like, I kind of knew what I wanted. I wanted a ministry that was focused on relationships taking priority and the gospel not being kicked down the road, but like being placed in the proper timing. Like, mm. I want to know Luke and his story before I bring Jesus into all of his life's problems. So uh, I was always kind of pushing that way. And no love center was just kind of something that came to me just over time. It was like, how do I articulate what I'm coming 
what I'm trying to get after with this. And it's relationship first, real relationship. That's where the love piece, but then also true discipleship. So no K N O W. Everybody has to know the kids' names. You can't be a mentor in our ministry if you're not going to know kids' names. Because if you're in well, church, more of their names. I mean, their stories. Totally, but that's like the kind of easiest way to say, like, yeah. okay, are you going to fit here? How you're going to have a hard time taking someone very far with Jesus if it's like just constantly, hey, man. Hey, hey Larry, Larry, right? Hey, bud. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was a way to sort of like filter. And we just got mentors that bought into that and lived that and embodied that quickly. And it kind of just became the ministry well you just use the word filter i i've always appreciated how it is a kind of filter right there's a kind of person who's like i'm ready to mentor some kids i got some stuff to tell these young people kids these days yeah and it's like uh, folks with that kind of spirit generally are not taking the time to actually go how do i really get to know the world these kids are in to appreciate it to love them totally and to build enough of a real platform to actually be able to have it where when i talk they give a crud about what i think because reality is if a kid's going to be here from 6th to 12th, that's seven years of their life. Like you, you've got to have that relationship desire or you're just not going to cut it. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, the, even the adult ministries that here at Redemption Gateway started going like, man, that's like, that's a really good philosophy. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And so we started talking about it with RC leaders. It's a big part of how we kind of train leaders across the board. And so it's pretty cool how that <laughs> has, uh, how that's happened. That's Another cool. thing that you did in student ministry that I I remember when you first brought this up to me, I was like, that is so stupid. Like there's no <laughs> chance that will work is you had an idea that new volunteers would make a seven year commitment to student ministry. I did have that idea. What in the world is that? It kind of came in that same season of articulating the vision of no love center and realizing that you can't have turnover and deep relationships. You got to have like people sticking it out. All right, so how long do we want to stick it out? Well, what would be ideal? Well, the whole time. Well, the whole time is seven years. So yeah, that, from sixth grade to twelfth grade. Yeah, and people, and I that helped me kind of say, oh, I also have to create a sustainable ministry. So we would take breaks. Summers would be less. So like, because coming from a teacher's background, a high school public school teacher background, like by spring break you're ready to quit. You're ready to just leave the profession. But then you get a summer break and you're like, I could do this another year. Yeah. So I was trying to recreate sort of the school rhythm that teachers had that kept them in the game as far as sustainability um, because I just saw like the best mentors we have have been here a couple of years mm. and they're not necessarily best because they have the natural qualities. They just keep sticking it out and God keeps growing them and the spirit keeps using them and time really does help like with this ministry. So, well, I just think it's wild because I feel like it is in church leadership. So often you're going, how do I lower the bar? How do I make it easier? You know, cause you, you want to help people volunteer. Yeah. They want to serve. They want to make a difference. But a lot of people are, you know, stuff comes up. Totally. And, and so when you're like, hey, you know, you're telling a prospective, you know, mentor headed into possibly, you know, mentoring sixth graders. Here's my vision for you <laughs> is I in a perfect world, you'll do this and you'll be invited to all these kids weddings. Right. And I think there's something about that that, again, it sounds nuts. And it sounds like, well, who could make that commitment? Right. And it's not a hard and fast commitment. No. I mean, there are always yeah. volunteers who you don't have to peel off totally. for lots of different reasons, but, but it starts with that kind of vision and that kind yeah. of heart, you know, right now, you know, at the time we're recording this, I'm, you know, I have a sophomore who's Crazy. been with her mentors for five years, right? Same mentors, same. Yeah. The same women have invested in her life and, um, some of the girls have come and gone, but it's, you know, a core of girls that have you know been together. 
And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Right. Those relationships, the input, those connections, it's just priceless. That's wild sophomore. Yeah. Goodness. She was just in sixth grade. I know. Holy. It, it I remember real fast. praying about who her mentors were going to be. <laughs> That's probably a lot of pressure. Is who are we going to put the lead pastor's kid <laughs> First with? Board, not just here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, um, and I learned a lot that we could talk about just in terms of, um, just valuing supporting student ministries. Yeah. You know, I think I always knew that I wanted to value it. I'm not sure I always valued it in practice, in practice, the way I kind of mentally was in my head. Hmm. Um, but it's just been a huge, a huge blessing to our church. And, and I think it was a good kind of training ground for you totally. in ministry. Oh, I mean, man. like you kind of mentioned it in a way, it is kind of like leading a, a right. smaller church. And I imagine you just learned a lot along the way. Oh yeah. Big time. So that took us kind of into church planning. So let's, yeah. let's kind of go there. Yeah. So, um, man, for, I bet for years, there've been people around here that have been going, when are you going to plan a church? Right. Are you going to plan a church? You know, or or people that would ask me, leading Redemption Gateway, is Josh going to go? Man, I hope Josh doesn't go. Oh, that'd be cool if Josh went. If Josh ever went, I'd go with him. Right. So, I mean, probably I'd say, you know, my guess would be three, four years ago, it kind of got to a point of like, yeah, he could. Like, yeah, where you had grown enough, enough. you developed <laughs> enough, like there was enough kind of wisdom and experience and maturity yeah. and confidence of like, yeah, he could do a good job with this. Um, What was the... What was the process of going, eh, am I going to plant a church? Yeah. Um, so just to color in that, you know, what you mean by is he ready? There's a lot of character development that I was unaware of even that happened because of redemption, because of other leaders that are stronger, older, wiser, better than me, who sort of spotted blind spots and kind of pressed into them and stuff I would never choose or want to go through again. But God was kind of preparing me by having people kind of, you know, grind on me for a while mm. as far as, hey, this is something in your life that's not going away. You need to just be aware of it, you know. Uh, think of Jacob wrestling with God, mm. pops his leg out of socket, and I picture Jacob walking with a limp the rest of his life. And that's kind of what I think good leaders have some limps mm. that other leaders have helped make them aware of. So that's what happened there. As far as personally and sort of desire, um, it was through a lot of pain. So Aubrey, we have four kids, but before Ozzy, so after our third born, we had three miscarriages. Two of them were really bad, pretty, you know, just the, all miscarriages are sad, but two of them required hospital visits and one required surgery. Uh, so in that season, I sort of just put my head down. I thought, I don't want to dream big. I just kind of want to do my job the best I can, which meant at that time, I'm just going to help Luke out in this church and be a good number two, number three, whatever. And just that was kind of my long-term goal is just let's just do student ministry the best I can. Yeah, somebody told you, and I, I, I mean, I benefited this from a long, for a long time. <laughs> someone at one point told you, you know, go to a church and help someone else be a great leader. Totally. And I, I don't remember lead, who said that to you or. The guy, John Bryson. Okay, yeah. He was a tweet. He said okay. the best leaders I've ever met spend a significant season in their life, in their development making somebody else look better. Mm. And I just, the spirit has used Twitter in a lot of ways in my life to just give me snapshots. Like, okay, that's something I can yeah. grab hold of. And so that's well, kind of, you, you did that. Well, yeah. Thanks man. I, mean, I thought, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I was a pain in the butt in other, lots of ways, but wow. I had that deep in my bones that I did want to help you out and yeah. being number two, three, four, whatever number wasn't. Yeah, sure. A terrible thing. It was well, and I think your background in sports and, 
you know, some of that stuff and, and even having some of the real world experience of being a teacher yeah. and like, you know, you, you knew what it was like to be part of a team. Totally. You know, you, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it, and anyway, so I'm fine being a number two, number three. Um, we have these miscarriages, we get pregnant with Ozzy and that sort of springboards Aubrey and me out of this season of darkness, of clouds, of depression, anxiety. And we start both kind of start to get our heads up out of the water a little bit. It's kind of how we just say it. And we start to kind of dream again. And I remember for Aubrey, it was around our house. She's like, you know, cause we loved our house in Chandler. Mm-hmm. I could, I could leave this house, which was like her way of saying, Hey, I could ch- turn the chapter in our life and do something else. Um, so that kind of started me praying, all right, God, what do you have next for me? And then very quickly, church planning was the thing like, okay, I love being a part of a building a team, creating culture, getting other leaders empowered. I want to do this for the long haul at Gateway. Luke and the team is doing a great job. If I wanted to kind of put my own stamp on this, whatever that means, um, it would probably be through church planning. So I started praying a lot about church planning, uh, got a prayer card for church planning. God, here's where I'm going to plant a church. It's either going to be in Mesa or Chandler, or if you want, I'll stay at Gateway with Luke until I'm dead. But those are sort of the three options I had. Mesa, Chandler, stay at Gateway. Yeah. And here you are leading not Redemption Mesa Chandler, or Chandler, yeah. but North Mountain. Totally. So how did you end up in North Phoenix? Yeah, so I started praying. I fasted for the season, and then God gave another pastor a vision that included me that said, hey, you're going to plant a church, and I'd like to be a part of it. So that, like... I guess added fuel to the fire of my desire. Okay, church planning is it. Which in that season, then you started to see it in me. Like, all right, Josh has got a shelf life here. Like he's he's going to be checked out at some point in a good way. Like as a good leader, you just sure. saw like his heart's going to take him elsewhere. So you took me and Aubrey to the church planning assessment in Denver, Colorado, whenever that was, 2019. And that was just a great season of affirmation of like, all right, Josh is good enough. You know, if I could. So <laughs> for people that don't know what a church planning assessment is, uh, how would you describe it? So picture like 15 medical doctors giving you an exam, but over all areas of spiritual life, financial life, relational life, emotional intelligence, and like 30 other men and women around you kind of, also chiming in on their opinions about how healthy you are at relationships or receiving feedback all the while you're doing it with like 50 other people that want to be church planners. So it's sort of like a shark tank mixed with a bachelor mixed with some sort of Christian like (laughs) church planning thing. So it's a very interesting environment. Um, For me, I felt really blessed and Aubrey would say the same thing being a part of redemption. It made it almost like not that big a deal because redemption does sort of, grind on people, presses into hard stuff, doesn't let leaders just lead out of talent, but they have to lead from character and sort of a depth that goes beyond just their superficial talent. So I, when I got there, feedback was a normal part of what I, I mean. Yeah. Part of the idea with church planning assessments is to go, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So you're trying to gauge, okay, what has someone done that would demonstrate certain qualities that would help them be successful at church right. planning? The assumption is that there are people who would be wonderful pastors and church leaders who maybe shouldn't be church planters. Um, so you're trying to kind of assess that. You're kind of watching people. You're putting them in difficult situations. You're putting them in groups, sort of right. figuring out, okay, who relates well, who kind of comes off a little bit. You know, when you difficult. put them in groups, not as the leader a lot of times, just mm-hmm. to see, like, how are you on a team? Like, yep. I don't want to know that you can lead everything. I want to know that you can be the number seven person 
Yeah, and so the part of the process involves a lot of feedback, and everyone that's involved with it is going, hey, we love church planting. Totally. We want as many churches planted as possible, but we also want to love the the candidates enough to say, hey, if this is going to be something that is going to really not be good for you or for your family or for your future, we want to be able to tell you that. Right. And if it is something you ought to do, but there's some you know, kind of rough edges that we got to sand off a little bit. We want to tell you about that too. And so that's some of the feedback. Yeah. And I know some of the folks that were part of, especially your sort of group, that sort of feedback was newer to them. Right. You know, they had mostly only been, you know, high fived and patted on the back. Their mom had told them they were great their whole life. And And you're like, people have been telling me I'm ugly for a long time. (laughs) Um, So so it culminates in basically a final grade, which if I remember, there's like five options. It's like, passing no issues whatsoever meaning we're totally behind this church plant but mm-hmm. most people receive i think what it was called was recommended with suggestions or mm-hmm. something like that or varying levels of suggestions and aubrey and i got that and the main suggestion was figure out where you want to plant this church because yeah. you guys both just say you both are saying the same thing you want to plant a church you want to plant a redemption church i don't really care where but i don't want to go anywhere so like we'll figure out where you want to go um and in that church planning assessment were two guys from North Phoenix who we hit it off with, you hit it off with. And when I came back to Phoenix, cause this was in Denver, I met with them later on and they, they told me, Hey, just so you know, we've been praying for this North Phoenix area, basically right where we landed in kind of moon Valley shadow mountain high school area, uh, for a long time. So when they told me that, and then Tyler Johnson told me something similar, I'm like, Hey, it'd be redemption, you know, it doesn't exist there. I've always kind of prayed for that spot as well. Aubrey and I started driving up there and we just fell in love with just the feel of that part of town. And that's basically how God moved us up there. Well, I I feel like there was a a time where you kind of wanted a little more like, Hey, tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. And I really resisted that partly because my own church planning story was trying to wrestle with where am I going to be and where's God calling me to. And I just realized like, man, where you plant a church is where you're going to live your life. It's where you're going to put down roots. It's where you're going to like, you know, you're, in choosing this, you're not choosing a thousand other things. Right. And I just don't want to put my finger on the scale of here's where you need to live your life, totally. you know. Um, so I was always hesitant to do that. But it was cool how right. you know, God used a number of different voices. And I do remember the first time that I think we drove around up there together. I just like, this feels like you. Right. You know, because um, you kind of grew up with a blue collar sort of sensibility, right. did ministry in a more suburban, almost rural kind of environment had taught in really underprivileged, under-resourced, right. highly diverse schools. Right. You know, you when you bought a house, you, you didn't buy in the new developments in Chandler. You bought kind of an old house and you right. did a lot of work to it. And and the part of North Phoenix where you're in, it's fits. It's funny because it's even hard to describe. It's kind of like this whole area that just I don't know, just call it North Phoenix. Like <laughs> you know, and it's like you can be here's a country club and here's an apartment complex and here's a trailer park and here's a brand new development. Here's a bunch of old And here's all this stuff. And, yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's this kind of interesting mix that I really think is a good fit for you. Yeah. It's been great. I mean, it's been, the area of town has been the biggest, but I mean, part of my prayer card was a dream house, which meant just kind of give us some things we really want. A pool would be one of them. Uh, and then a neighborhood that we love and God answered those prayers above and beyond what we ever could have imagined. So, yeah, so what I remember is I believe it was the week, it was either a week or two weeks before the COVID-19 pandemic hit that we announced that you were going to plant the church. This is correct. I'm trying to remember exactly, like January, February, COVID 
really smashed us in March. Yeah, March 15th was the Sunday that everybody canceled. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was March 1st. Yes, because we did a members thing like in January somewhere mm-hmm. we told. So sort of our members heard and mm-hmm. they started to get on board and pray for me. And then we announced it on a Sunday right before COVID shut everything Yeah, out. and we had had all this hope like, okay, we're going to announce this in March. Yeah. Josh is going to have about two months to finish the school year. He'll we're get really to good go to about- all the graduation parties. <laughs> you know, it'll be this big kind of ride off uh, into the sunset, amazing kind of thing. You know, build the team blah 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 yeah, yeah. and it was like holy cow just not that gonna go with my gut on this one 2020 is gonna be a good one and we <laughs> went for it yeah but it turned out to just be awesome in so many ways that yeah you know, people ask me i was just meeting with a guy he said hey how's church planning and i said honestly it was the easiest part of my life in 2020 because mm-hmm. the bar was so low <laughs> everybody was so just tired of covid People were craving community, and that area really was craving another church and more gospel representation. So it was just like God lined it up for us to kind of walk into just a ton of easy wins in church planning. Like, I feel super blessed. So kind of fall of 2020 was sort of developing your core, developing your launch team. About how many folks were part of that? Maybe 40 adults, give or take. Which is pretty significant. Yeah, and a good chunk. I mean, probably six families or so moved with us from Gateway which is crazy because yep. it's not close. So for people that don't know, I mean, distance-wise, it's probably about a 40, 45-minute yeah. move. I mean, it's significant. You're yeah. not commuting. Right. You're going to have to, like, sell your house, buy a new house. Totally. And then you had people from other redemption congregations as well yeah, join in. Yeah, been a huge blessing. Alhambra, key leader, like, not just it, just key leaders, RC leaders from Alhambra, from Arcadia, from Tempe, yep. and from Peoria. So yeah. better together, I mean, yeah, been amazing. Yeah, and then you launched in January of 2021. Yep. January 10th. So we're coming up on our one year. So, I mean, gosh, I just would think like people would just go, what are you doing? Why would you plant a church during this? Well, I was going back to look at COVID numbers, just to be like, how bad was COVID when our church was getting out? And there was January like 12th was like the highest COVID numbers for the state. And January 10th when we kicked off, it's like, what were we thinking? But at some point we had made the decision like, we're just going ahead with this. We're going to do, we're going to mask up. We're going to be safe. We're going to do everything we're supposed to do, but we can't keep waiting. We're chomping at the bit to get this thing started. Our launch team was ready to get to work. So January 10th, we set the date, we did it and we haven't looked back. So, and another thing that I think is just interesting in that is I think, you know, obviously when the pandemic hit every church leader in the world tried to figure out, okay, how do we do video? How do we do live streaming? How do we do all this stuff, right? The whole world figured out how to do Zoom, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think a lot of kind of strategists or strategist types, you know, strategy people would go, hey, like, if you're going to launch something now in 2020, 2021, you've got to have a really, really vibrant, big time online ministry, blah, blah, blah. When you launched, you didn't even have like a live stream. No, or video for a while. We were figuring out video. <laughs> yeah. So was that. How much was that just like, hey, we're a church plant, you got what you got? And how much of that was like, you know what? I I don't we don't need that. Or what you know. At first it was like we had so much other stuff to be worrying about, but then it quickly became sort of a conviction, not like a hill I was gonna go to battle on, but A, I thought people are already connected to churches and have online options, like I don't need to present another online option for hearing the gospel and being a part of a church community. Um, personally, I'm not that great on video. Like I'm not that, it's just not my sweet spot. I'm better in person with people. 
Um, but then I just asked some key team leaders like, hey, what do you think? Should we go to live stream? And the, the, most of the people said, if people want to check out our church, I want them to have to come see us in person. Hmm. So that was kind of like how we landed. And, uh, you know, redemption didn't have like a policy, like thus saith mm-hmm. redemption, do it this way or that way. So I, the, the other thought was to give another data point of like, okay, we're not doing live stream just so other people as the rest of the world is figuring out live streaming, going nuts with technology and all this video and audio stuff. We'll just be this church that's kind of creates another data point of like, hey, we did it without, and here's where we landed. So mm-hmm. that was also kind of in my bones a little thinking yeah. through it. So now, I mean, a year or so later, are you doing live stream now? No. Still okay. just video. But now you, you so you capture the sermons. Yeah. And post the sermons on YouTube. Yeah. Kind of like the old days. Yeah, you the know? good old days. But if someone wants 2017 to days. tune in online, yeah. uh, they're going to have to do that later in the week or something. Correct. What has surprised you about church planning? I don't know how to say this without. It's easier than I expected. Okay. And I think I credit most of that to redemption. Hmm. Like a guy asked me like, dude, how hard is church planning? And I'm like, it's hard, but it's easy in a lot of ways when you have like good people, a good foundation, resources to back you financially and people wise. And you just feel like you have this big safety net of mm. a church behind you. Um, so that's been surprising. Because I think if I was to do it on my own, it'd be a whole different story. I mean, you yeah. basically did it that way. I mean, you had... Well, no, I, I would have been somewhere in between. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I feel like a lot of church plants, if you're honest, are really church splants. Yeah. You know, best case in most situations, you got a young guy who wants to start something and an old guard who's like, eh, okay, I guess we'll pray a blessing for him. Send off a couple hundred people with him. Yeah. But, but that rarely happens, you know? And so it's like, you know, I mean, I, I, we got sent out as a daughter church of East Valley Bible, but there was still a lot of connection. Um, you know, there was a lot of relationship. I mean, so much relationship that a few years later when it was like, Hey, what if we all merged together? It was like, okay, I can see that. Totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you talk to, to, planters who are truly like on their own yeah it's a tough go it's a yeah so that i mean that's been surprising um surprising how much faith comes into it i mean i know that sounds stupid and simple like duh uh i read a quote steve jobs talks about you can only really connect dots looking in the past he's Mm -hmm. like i want to find people that are connecting future dots that no one else sees yet in church planning is a little bit like i think god has placed a dot here my job's to connect this somehow with my work as a church planner, pastor, whatever frontier person. Um, and it's just been a blessing, like faith rewarded. Mm. And I don't want to get overly like, you know, health, wealth and prosperity, but uh, we have been blessed yeah. by following through on dots that we saw God kind of pointing us to. Mm-hmm. So that's been surprising how rewarding and fulfilling that has been because gateway was just a sweet, like we, we had dots to connect, but it was like, a really safe home base of ministry to happen where this is like, Hey, we're going to go to the frontier, you know, not that North Phoenix yeah. is not reach, but we're going someplace new. You know, we sing that song, new wine. Yep. We're going to do something new. It's scary. And the scary has been overshadowed big time by the, the joy and blessing Yeah, for me personally, for Aubrey, for our boys uh, and people on the core team, even that like job promotions and stuff like that. God has really just taken care of us. So. Yeah. Well, it seems like with, um, with the connection with redemption, you mentioned briefly that, I mean, you've got a significant relationship with a bunch of pastors in North Phoenix. Yeah. 
who are not threatened by you being there, by redemption being there. They're they're cheering that you're there. Some of them are f- supporting financially. Yeah. I mean, they're really excited about that. So that's a huge deal. I think, um, you know, planting a church at 38 instead of 28, right. you know, and you had you had basically already, to some degree, grown a small church right. through a youth ministry. Um, that all that I put all that together and go, yeah, okay, I can see how this isn't like the hardest thing you've ever done. Uh, maybe it is the hardest thing you've ever done, but not as hard yeah. as maybe some people say. That said, what has been harder than you expected? I think the age thing, just I have four kids. Like, I've got a lot going on in life. So you planted this when I think Caitlin was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 29. So that's just it. When you have, like, little babies, it's just a different ball game. You're still totally in control. I mean, there are a lot of work, but there's not, like, talk, talking back. There's not fighting. There's not teenage issues. Where when you have kids in different stages of life, you're just tired all the time. Trying yeah. to be, If you're trying to be a decent dad, decent mom, like, you're going to be tired. Well, and when you're younger, you're forming your friendships. Yeah. And you have enough space to form friendships totally. with other adults. Whereas, like, if I had to go form a bunch of new friendships now with four kids. Yeah. It, that's a big thing. It's like, that's not easy. Yeah. I don't have gobs of, you know, we used to have kind of that, like, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Oh, nothing. Well, why yeah. don't you come over? I know. <laughs> and it's like, now it's like, hey, what are you doing in seven years? Yeah. Let's get together. You right. know, it's a, totally. it's a d- different deal. Which is interesting because a lot of our core team is kind of my demographic. I'm on the older end, but, like, have kids established. So that's kind of the vibe early on. And then we have a whole chunk of people that are young, married, no kids yet. So it will just be interesting how God kind of fleshes that out. But for me, being older with kids that are not old teenagers yet, but just spread out, I'm, it's been tiring. Um, what else? Been It's been more lonely than I expected, just especially living Gateway, you, Brazel, all the people here, Reese, Rob. Like I just had whatever sort of friendship and personality type I had at my disposal when I was at Redemption Gateway. Like I could go yuck it up with this person and go to have a serious theological talk with this person. Where there, it's me, Chandler Cruz, who's great, but it's like just the same, it's just one friendship to kind of navigate yeah. with. And everyone doing anything substantial at the church is doing it as a volunteer. Yeah. And anytime I want to have time with them, it's dipping into their personal time or my personal time. So it's just a different... Sure. Where with the staff, it's like, it's work time, it's staff time. You can yep. mix it all together, if that makes sense. Um, so one of the things we say in Redemption, we say we want each congregation to feel like Redemption would feel in that community with that leadership at that stage of development. And so, um, and, and maybe this is kind of where we'll, where we'll wrap up. Yeah. If you were to kind of look at those three things, how, how will that, how does it now and how will that in the future sort of shape what redemption North mountain looks like? So because redemption North mountain is in North Phoenix, how will that make it distinct potentially yeah. uh, from gateway or peoria or tucson or wherever yeah so start with just location yeah phoenix easy one with gateway which i've realized pretty quickly is it's much more uh homegrown people are from there they maybe go away to college but they move back there where gateway is way more transients people are moving here for intel or these jobs that are in this part of town so north phoenix is way more going to be sort of generational long time longevity yes Hmm. um what's the implication of that for ministry that's a good question. Um, is that like people are busier on holidays? People are busier, yeah. You got more, more family They got involved. more roots. Like they're not as interested in a new thing. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't. We'll have to think about that more. 
Any other things that come to mind of like uh, this community will shape redemption in certain ways? It's a lot of, like I said, younger families. um, So that'll have a shaping impact. And Mm -hmm. this, I mean, this is fascinating as we do a podcast. So like I meet with sort of this young ministry leadership team I have of just kind of 20-something-year-olds. And none of them really listen to podcasts, especially sermons, Mm. which is way different than how I kind of my faith took off was. Is there stuff more YouTube? video not TikTok, even that, that like stuff. they're just more in in the flesh sort of okay. real relationships not that this wow. isn't you know so like good for them so i'm curious Great. what that sort of next generation kind of 20 to 28 ish will shape in our church um yeah um it's just more dingy okay gateway i mean even driving the gateway today like there's new buildings popping you got a rock climbing gym like everything is new the parks are new the parking lots have abundant spaces like in Phoenix. Like if you want to go to Oso, you got to park in the AJ's parking lot because parking yeah. is terrible. And it's just, so people just have a more, uh, uh, people out here ha- get people, what people in the suburbs are a little more entitled. Is yeah. what you're <laughs> they just, they yeah. get exactly sure. what they want and how they want it when they want it. Yep. Phoenix people are like, man, this is just how life is. Just yeah. take what, take what you can get. Okay. So, so redemption in that community with that leadership, so I'm curious for you, what what do you feel like, um, I mean, there's so much about who you are and what you believe yeah. that you'd have in common with lots of leaders across Redemption and whatever, but what do you think is kind of some of the unique flavor yeah. of a church planted by and led by Josh Watt? So I describe me as like if Arcadia and Alhambra uh, had a baby that was adopted by Gateway and raised <laughs> by Gateway. So whatever that is in your mind... Um, Hmm. that's who I am. Uh, so like I said, I'm blue collar. My parents are blue collar. Um, but I do like nicer things. Not that I have a lot of nicer mm-hmm. things, but it's not like I just in this blue collar, like true and true. Um, but then gateway, I have this sort of organ organized systematic principled way of doing things. So, um, yeah, whatever that's going to look like, I think, um, it'll be like a lot of blue collar, Family, just salt of the earth, I think is the term you use, yeah. uh, people. And we have a lot of people that don't take themselves too serious, which is a redemption culture, which I think I embody, my family embodies, and our cult, our church has embodied from day one. So, yeah. which is great. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll have a darker side if, you know, that gets taken too far. But sure. So, redemption in that location with that leadership at that stage of development. So, here you are about a year in. Yeah. Um, what what are you kind of hoping for the next year, the next two years? Um, what is this next phase, right? You're kind of like, there's some proof of concept. You got a few hundred people. You got a couple services. Right. Um, it's like, okay, this thing looks like it's going to have legs. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's, what's sort of in your heart, in your prayers, yeah. as you think about this next season? I mean, this is redemption's line, but healthy church. I want to be a healthy church. Um, and the way I've kind of been thinking about it is I think about, you know, what's a mega church? I don't know if Gateway is technically a mega church. I think the technical thing is over 2,000. Okay, so we're not a mega church. Yeah, redemption together would be considered a mega church, I guess. Yeah. But I don't think any one congregation is on an average Sunday that large. Right. So whatever, 2,000 people, like I want, I think about mega church influence kind of spread out in smaller environments throughout our area. So we've got men's Bible studies meeting in coffee shops. We've got women's doing stuff, you know, 
I go out to coffee shops all the time and I see people from our church meeting that I don't know we're going to meet that, you know, that's a counselor that's helping a young up, up, up and coming counselor. So I just picture kind of a heat map of just mm. lots of gospel environments popping up because North Mountain exists. Yeah. And I think that doesn't, uh, that go coincides with a good, healthy Sunday gathering and good, just good, normal sort of traditional church way people think about how many people come on a Sunday. So I want that to be good and healthy and worshipful and good teaching. But I also just picture all these kind of bubbles of gospel environments and new leaders popping up kind of here and here and here and here and here and here and here, you know, mm-hmm. when you're searching for a restaurant, you know, Mexican restaurants near me and they, all those, yeah, right. Like discipleship opportunities and environments around me. i want North mountain to kind of fill the map where God has placed us. Mm. Um, so that's fun. Yeah. I don't know what the only that's going to look like, you know, yeah, God's going to lead it. I mean, he led us there, so I'm sure he has bigger plans than I could ever imagine at this point, but that's yeah. kind of where I'm at now. So, well, man, it is, uh, it's great to see you. So it's good. great to introduce you to a lot of other people that maybe yeah. aren't as familiar with your story. And I appreciate you being here and man, we're just really proud of you. We're Thanks. proud of the way you've uh, gone about this and the grind. I mean, the challenge, the hard work, the, you have a kind of grinder. I'm going to just push through. And yet you also haven't done it in your own strength. I think you've tried to depend on the Lord and lean into faith and, mm-hmm. you know, learn from other people. And, um, I just couldn't be more excited about thanks, what man. the future is. And thanks for letting me be so, a part of this. It's sweet yeah. Of you guys thanks to, for, uh, yeah. thanks for stopping by. So, uh, that's going to do it. I think for today, um, thanks for listening. We uh, hope that this is just an encouragement to you as you get to know some of what's going on around redemption, get to know some of these people that at least for me, I just think are dear. And, uh, so we're going to continue the conversations. Hope it continues to be a blessing for you. And, uh, Josh, everyone else, we'll see you next time.